Amen. Hey, my name is Ian. I'm the Family Life Pastor here at Epicenter. Uh, we're so glad to have you with us. It's just, it's really funny how, how God works in some really cool ways. Originally, uh, Pastor Mark was scheduled to be out of town this, uh, this weekend, and then um, obviously the hurricane messed up uh, those plans, and then uh, he has been feeling a little bit under the weather the last couple days, and so uh, he, he wanted me to tell you he's, he's fine. It's not anything super serious, but uh, just be praying with us for him that he can bounce back and be ready to roll again next week. But the beauty of all that is, you know, we had an amazing speaker already scheduled to come and bring God's word for us today. And so um, we're not going to miss a beat. We're excited. It's, a, it's uh, an honor for all of us to get to hear the word. Uh, this this, this uh, gentleman has been here, what we were just talking about, seven, eight times already. He's, he's one of the family here at Epicenter Church, right? So, so if you would put your hands together for Pastor Jim Kelly. Good morning, everybody. You can have a seat. Uh, it's great to see you. And uh, I'm looking around, and I'm, I'm like, this is a 9 o'clock service, and it's full. Like, what's going on? You know, I go to these churches, and there's like 11 people at the 9 o'clock service. And I turn around, and I'm like, it's full. So y'all, give yourselves a hand, man. You showed up for church today. Be praying for Pastor Mark. We love Pastor Mark and love his passion for the Lord. And uh, he's feeling a little bit under the weather, like Ian said. So be praying for him that he's feeling better. And uh, so he, hopefully he can take a vacation here pretty soon. But how many of you are glad you came to church today? Yeah, that's most of you. Uh, I want to share a message. It's kind of a curveball message, actually. It's not a feel-good, oh, that's wonderful, you know, syrupy kind of message. I want to share a message with you and get it down to the crux, get it to the bone. What will happen when I die? What will happen when I die? How many people want to know where you go? When, <laughs> yeah, I think we all do. We don't want to leave that for chance, do we? Well, let's start here. Let's just jump into the Word. The Apostle Paul is writing his young disciple uh, Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. And the Word says, Now the Holy Spirit tells us, here's Paul telling Timothy this, clearly that... In the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. Have you seen that? I've seen it. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences are dead. You may be thinking, teachings that come from demons? Like, what's up with that? Sounds crazy. But listen to what Paul's really saying here. He's saying some teachings that appear to be biblically based actually attempt to bring Jesus down to his rightful place, pull him down from Lord of heaven and earth to just someone who's a human like you and me. And the Bible says that's not true. He is, yes, he's man, but he's God too. He's the God man, right, who came from heaven. You've heard this. Oh, he was just a good man. We love his teachings. 
He wasn't actually God's son. Or this one, hey, he was romantically connected with Mary Magdalene. Didn't you see the Da Vinci Code? Oh, Jesus didn't actually die when he was on the cross. They just took him down. He was still breathing. He was still alive. Crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. Even the German soldier, uh, the German soldier, the Roman soldier who took the, took the lance and stabbed his side, he knew he was dead. The Bible says blood and water flowed out. He gave up his last breath. That's what the Word of God says. That, by the way, has been around for a very, very long time. So we, I, I want to spend some time in God's Word today, don't you? And kind of dig out the truth of this, of this message. So here's the question. What will happen when I die, when you die? Where do I actually go immediately when I die? Where is heaven anyway? Is it a real place? And what about hell? Yeah, what about hell? You're not supposed to say hell in church. You can't say what the hell, but you can say hell, right? Is hell a literal place? Well, what did Jesus say? Let's start with heaven. What did Jesus say about heaven? Well, 19 times Jesus spoke to his followers about heaven. And here's just a few examples. Look at this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Jesus said that we should let our lights shine. How many of you are doing that? That others may see your good works and glorify your Father where? In heaven. Jesus said that. In Matthew chapter 6, the next chapter, verse 9, Jesus told us to pray. Our Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy, you can say it with me, will be done on earth uh, as it is where? In heaven. Is he making this stuff up? Luke chapter 10, verse 21, Jesus is praying and says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike or to the babes, right? And then in John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples about heaven, and he says this, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. He's not talking about Asheville, North Carolina. <clears throat> if this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to pre prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be where I am. How many of you want to be there? I do. So if you believe in Jesus and you put your faith and trust in his words, he said he's going to save a place for you. Now just turn to the person next to you and say, hey, that's good news. That's good news, right? He's going to save a place for you and me so you and I can be where he is. Where? In heaven. Millions upon millions of angels live there serving the Lord each and every day day and they do it gladly they remember they had a choice back in the day to serve god or serve the devil a third of them went to follow 
the devil, but two-thirds of them stayed, and I'm, I'm sure they're glad that they stayed with God. Some people believe angels just sit around and, you know, they're playing harps and floating around the, the clouds eating moon pies and drinking RC Cola, but hey, that is not the case at all. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, angels are ministering spirits, listen to this, sent to care for God's people who will, say that word with me, who will inherit salvation. Here's the good news. There are people who are not saved today that you've been praying for, and God is sending his angels to help those who will inherit salvation. They don't even know where they're at spiritually, but God's like, we've got a plan for them. You've been praying for them. I'm going to send the angels from heaven to protect them. How many of you know that's good news? That's real good news. Uh, I probably have told you this story before, but um, I've had angels, uh, some angelic kind of things happen in my life. How many of you have ever known that you've had an angelic either visit or something happen and you knew God just stepped in? Um, I was about 19 years old. I was living in Orlando. By the way, they got creamed by that hurricane. Um, I, my mom and family are still down there, and um, be praying for them. They're still many of them are out of power. But was living in um, Orlando, and I was traveling and singing. I think Pastor Mark did this for years, traveling with a gospel group and singing. I was broke, made about thirty-five bucks a week. I mean, but I was serving Jesus, right? And uh, driving a nineteen sixty-five uh, Comet, I think it was. And today it would probably cost you about 80 bucks to fill that puppy up. Anyway, it was about 11.30 at night, just finished our gig, and I uh, was driving in Orlando, and I ran out of gas. It's pitch black, no one around, and I'm like, dear God, what has happened? <laughs> I was freaked out, man. And all of a sudden, this black guy, this African-American dude, in a, I tell you the God-honest truth, in a white suit, about six foot four, six foot five, comes running. I was like near a four way stop, comes running out of the woods. Sir, sir, let me help you. And I'm like, sure. So he goes, get in the car. So I get in the car, and this guy by himself pushes the, <laughs> pushes the 65 Comet up a hill into a bank. A parking lot, and when I got out, I closed the car. That's what it sounded like back in those days with those big heavy doors. Boom! And I turn around to help him or give him a dollar or two. He runs off into the black of night, gone. And I was like, either I'm crazy or that was an angel. How many of you believe that was an angel? I mean, he did, he just said, get in the car, smiled, gone. So that was one time. And then a few years later, I was with a friend, and we were driving um, my Volkswagen Bug that um, cost about $3 to fill up back then. And um, I was always running out of gas when I was a kid. I'm just one of those guys, like, always, you know, on the line. Anyway, driving down this road in, in, um, in Sanford, North Car uh, uh, Sanford, Florida, and we're driving, da -da 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 
And we look at each other. I think we ran out of gas. Yeah. So we're walking. It's about, it's a Saturday. It's about noontime, maybe 1130. And a truck immediately pulls up behind, I mean, immediately pulls up behind us. A man, roll, he couldn't see his eyes. He has a hat on. He rolls down the window, never says a word. He just points to the back. We're like, back of him. Okay, we look, and there's a gas can in the back of the truck. So my friend takes the gas can, and I'm just kind of surveying the situation. And bloop, 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 we fill, fill the, um, the VW up. And my friend said, hey, Jim. I think it's an angel. I'm like, bro, it's not an angel. It's just some guy. It's got gas in the back of his truck. So anyway, bloop, bloop, bloop. we fill it up. We turn the screw, and, and we go to thank the guy, and whew, he takes off. We're like, if he's an angel, we're going to follow this guy, see where he goes. So we crank up the VW, and his truck is gone. And when we got over the next hill, the truck was gone. Gone. I mean, he was right in front of us. Gone. And we looked at each other and we said, I think that was an angel from God <laughs> sending us some gas. Whatever, God comes through, doesn't he, for his people. And angels are ministering spirits and they're sent to help us. Angels are real. And they travel from heaven to earth and with lightning speed, serving God's people in the kingdom of God. How many of you have had a relative that has passed away and you know they're in heaven today? Yeah, my dad just passed on not too long ago. And my brother, who's a professional photographer, went to see him right before he died. So he understands lighting and he's a black and white photography expert. Been doing that for 40 years. And he walked into the room where my dad was and he said the room was lit up and he's looking around. There's no windows open. He said when he looked at my father, he looked like his face was 30 years younger. Right before he passed. And he's walking around and he's checking him out and he's telling his wife, are you seeing what I'm seeing? And right before he passed, he said his face was lit up. Everything was soft, smiled on his face. Whew, gone. Isn't that the way to go? That's the way to go, man. When you know that you know that you know where you're going. We can be just like our parents and our friends who have gone before us because we're going to heaven. And the Bible says when we get there, we're going to see characters like King David and Abraham and Moses and Paul and Peter and family members. And have you thought about who you want to see when you get to heaven? I have. I want to see Jesus first. How about you? I want to see him. The Bible says that when we get there, we'll have new bodies. And get this, but we can still eat with no stomach issues ever again. Thank you, Lord. Trees that produce fruit every month, that's not just for looks. That's for eating, man. The Bible says that we're going to be sitting at the banquet table feasting with David and Moses and Jacob and all these people. That's going to be a, like a Thanksgiving I want to be at. The gates of the city of God, the Bible says, are made from pearl. And the streets are made of transparent gold, clear as glass. So you can actually see right through the gold. 
There's no need for light, the Bible says, because the glory of God lights up heaven, the entire city. And there'll be no sorrow there at all. Our tears will be eternally wiped away. Man, that's good news, isn't it? Now, some people have said, well, what if it's all a lie? What if it's not real? Well, a reasonable answer would be this. If you put your faith and trust in God and it's not real, it doesn't hurt you one iota for believing in Jesus. But what What if the skeptics and the doubters and the atheists and the agnostics are wrong? What if Jesus was actually telling the truth? Well, then if you put your faith in something other than Jesus, you are lost for eternity. You've lost everything. Now, let me tell you, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus was the game changer for all of us who believe. Prior to Jesus' death on the cross, even believers were not allowed into the presence of of God the Father after they died. Listen to this. Let me show you. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. Jesus said there was a, a certain man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered in sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. That's a, that's a bad day right there. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. So he made it. The rich man also died. Listen to this. And was buried, and he went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in a far distance away with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue. I'm in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, Remember that during your lifetime, you had everything you wanted, and Lazarus had nothing. So now he's here being comforted, and you are in anguish. And besides, there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here, and no one can cross over to us from there. Then the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send Lazarus to my father's home, for I have five brothers and I want to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. So isn't it interesting that after you die, you do think about the earth, you think about life, you think about your family. Then Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them, your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. And Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Who, who rose from the dead? Jesus. So here we see two distinct places. Abraham, the Old Testament patriarch, is with this poor man, 
Lazarus, the rich man who obviously never knew the Lord or cared about the things of God, is in a different place altogether. One is in a place of comfort. The other is in a place of torment. The rich man is burning up, thirsty, desperate to get out of there. And there's a great chasm that separates the two. Lazarus is in the place called Abraham's bosom or paradise with all the Old Testament believers who were waiting to get into the presence of the Father. The rich man is in a place called Hades or Sheol, the place of the dead. Do you remember what Jesus said to the man dying on the cross next to him? What did he say? He said, remember, you will be with me today. Where did he say? Did he say heaven? He didn't. He said, you'll be with me in paradise. Why did he say that? Because during that three-day period in the grave, following the death by crucifixion, Jesus' spirit went down to Hades or hell and stole the keys of death, hell, and the grave from Satan himself. Then the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, when Jesus ascended into heaven, he led a crowd of captives with him. So the question is, who were the captives? Have you ever heard the song, Oh, when the saints go marching in, oh, when the saints go marching in. Remember that? How many of you have heard that song? Okay, about nine of you. All right, well, it's a great old song. And that song speaks of the Old Testament believers who were waiting in paradise till Jesus' blood was shed on Calvary's cross. And when Jesus stole the keys to death, hell, and the grave, the Bible says he ascended on high and led captives in a train to heaven itself, to the very face of God. For the very first, that's the first time Samuel was in the presence of the Father. The first time David and all the Old Testament believers were in the presence of God himself. In fact, the, the scriptures now say in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to be absent in body is to be present with the Lord. No longer do we have to go to paradise. We can go straight to heaven. Why? Because the blood of Jesus that was shed on Calvary's cross made a way for us to be present with him, seated at the right hand of our heavenly father. And I think we ought to just give a shout of praise and thanks to him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In the book of Acts, it tells a really interesting story. In Acts chapter 7, the unbelieving Jews are stoning Stephen. And it says the, the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusations. What was he? He was accusing them of not believing in Jesus. And they shook their fists in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus not sitting, but standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. 
And, and he goes on, Stephen goes on to tell them. He said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They're just freaking out. They rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned him. And then Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he dies forgiving his accusers. Why did he do that? Because he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He was the first martyr of the church. And not only is Jesus there in heaven, he stands up to receive that first martyr, Stephen. Come on home, Stephen. Welcome to heaven. Do you know who Saul was standing there watching the coats? The great apostle Paul before he was saved. Mm, powerful. So what about those who don't put their faith and trust in Jesus? Well, the Bible tells us that hell is a place of complete darkness where unbelievers will go, not for a short time, not for a very long time, but for eternity. Jesus said it's a place where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. It's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, our fleshly bodies begin to decay at death. We know that. But the Bible says you will still feel pain in hell. It wouldn't be a place of torment unless you felt pain, right? And maybe the scariest thing is that you will never, ever, ever feel the presence of God again like we are right now. How many of you sense the presence of God even while we're reading the word? You'll never, ever feel that. You know, as a Catholic kid growing up in New Jersey, uh, I used to talk like this and then I got saved. I used to walk and talk and play football. Then I moved to Orlando and I lost all my accent. But as a Catholic kid growing up, I was taught that there was a place called purgatory where you could go if you weren't good enough to get into heaven and someone would or could pray you out of there so you wouldn't be cast into hell. Have anybody, has anybody ever heard that? Any, yeah, a few of you have. However, the Bible says nothing, nothing about purgatory. Those who are not believer, believers will end up in this awful prison of gloom and darkness until the time of final judgment. And if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, you will be personally judged. And following judgment, the Bible says that you will be cast into a lake of fire forever. So let me ask you, let me ask you a very fair question. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life today? Do you know Jesus personally? Or better yet said, does he know you personally? 
The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, here's the good news. You will be saved. That's the good news. And it hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Saved from what? From hell itself. And God will write your name in the Lamb's book of life. You see, everyone has a choice. If we believe, we'll be saved. If we refuse, then we'll die twice. Our bodies will die and our spirits will perish forever. Forever separated from the love of God. So what's your choice today? Have you fully surrendered your life 